0: Uh, somebody who I've known for um, a number of years I actually knew David before I knew Colin um, which uh, Colin was introduced to me by David uh, initially David at the time was a scientist and um, just an all-round good friend I since moved into the world of coffee with uh, with Marco coffee with Paul Stack and what Paul, what David knows is um, is just amazing for somebody of so short years in the industry, uh, a real legend already. Please give it up for Mr. David Walsh. Uh, are you not stopping long? Are you...
1: <laughs> Hello, everybody. Uh, I didn't, don't quite have as fetching a handbag as Gollum. Uh but I do have some toys. Hi. Um, Wow, how do you follow that? Who am I? Uh, I've just been watching a lot of famous people talk about very interesting things. Uh, I'm not quite a famous person, so I'm going to introduce myself a little. Someone once said that you can tell a lot about a man by his shelves. And these are my shelves. And they tell a story of my kids, my wife, my life, my interests. And this is me, aged one and a bit something. Um, I offer this only to garner sympathy for later. (laughs) And this is what I spent a huge portion of my life doing. In all, when I count it up, and I don't like counting it up, I spent 13 years in one academic institution between a degree, a PhD, and then some time as an employee doing research. And when you look at the rest of the shelf, you can see what I was actually thinking about all those 13 years and what I was doing, which was coffee. And. So this is kind of like a, a line, a continuum, and I'm somewhere in there between passion and obsession. And one is kind of good, and one is kind of bad. Passion, people say, yes, yeah, great, passionate guy. Obsession, people go, ooh, stand back a bit. Uh, luckily, I was far enough away from obsession maybe to, to be able to, at the start of this year, leave Uh, my boring academic life and go work for an amazing company uh, called Marco. And people are somewhat perplexed by this. Uh, I always get asked, you know, I've been traveling a lot in the first few months of this job and people go, well, what exactly do you do for Marco? And For Marco, I I see it as I kind of get paid to do what I was doing anyway, which is to obsess about coffee. And coffee is this amazing thing. It's unique. This is my kind of weird visualization of coffee. It's like this sandwich that contains all these different things at once. It tastes of all of them at once, and nothing else that I can think of does that. Actually, you use this for to talk about extraction, where you actually only want to serve a certain amount of this sandwich. But that's another story. And you know, obsessing about coffee, really the beverage at the end, not uh, kind of the entirety of coffee. But everything that goes into that final beverage, you know, all these points up here on this line have an impact. But kind of where I uh, have always found myself, you know, obsessing is the the end bit, the last bit, the last point of contact, which is grinding, then brewing, then coffee, and it has an enormous impact. So um, my first no ah damn I did it wrong my cursed unholy comminution comminution. Comminution is basically breaking something up into smaller parts. For coffee, that happens to be grinding. It's not the only method of comminution, but it's the one we use. And we do it to increase the surface area. Basically, we want coffee and water to come in contact with each other. And so coffee is the solute, water is the solvent, grind it up, mix it together, and you end up with a solution, which is our lovely drink. And uh, this is kind of where we started with coffee grinding, um, mortar and pestle. I'd like to think we have progressed from this. (laughs) This is a 17th century Turkish coffee mill. We maybe haven't really progressed from this. This is, OK, late 19th century uh, shop grinder, kind of along the lines of things we do now. And then into the, the uh, 20th century, electric grinders. And we absolutely have not even a tiny bit progressed from this. These are, to all intents and purposes, the same as the grinders we are now using. So. What is the relationship between coffee and grinding? It is a marriage of convenience. It is an unhappy marriage, but it's what we have. <laughs> and what does it give us? It gives us uneven grinds, even the best grinders. And we have one. We sell one. We make one. It's, we made it trying to get the absolute most even grind possible. It's called the Uber grinder. It still does not produce a completely uniform grind. It still gives you a range of particle sizes. It gives you small bits and big bits. So again, so this is uh, for those who don't know I'd like to think this audience knows what this is. This is a particle distribution graph. So you have particle sizes going from small to big, and you have, like say, the relative amount. so this is a grind. You have a lot of this size, which is kind of what you're wanting, really, but you have these bits. We call them fines or subparticles, And they come about basically because of grinding. So that noise out there, grinding, but not the clicky bit, but the bit before it, that is you doing this to your coffee. And what happens when you extract it? You extract loads out of this bit and shag all out of this bit. (laughs) Next. Stale. Stale is the wrong word. But what happens when, here's a question. Who here has ever smelt ground coffee and taught it smelt better than the resulting drink? That's because you're plastering the walls with the flavor. It's going, as soon as you're grinding it, it's immediately going into the air. And it's, it's over there. You can smell it up the room. You can smell it on the street. So it's not stale, but you're dispersing it into the air and creating a mixture. Sure. And hot, actually, you can go on again. Hot is speeding up this process. It's speeding up the degradation of these. So your grinder produces heat. I'm not talking about the brewing liquid, but I'm talking about the actual bars friction generates heat it um speeds up the degradation of these aromatic compounds and stuff and yeah basically makes a makes your coffee less delicious wasteful this is uh there's two different ways to look at wasteful i mean there's this which is wasteful but also if you're making that uneven particle size you have to stop extracting sooner than you could otherwise. Because the fines are over-extracting, they're creating a bitter taste. So you're leaving behind extraction you could in the rest of the coffee. So that's wasteful. You could use less coffee otherwise. So, not sure why I stopped there, go on. Why not wet grind? Here's some reasons. It's, um, <laughs> it's messy. It's impractical and uh, potentially destructive. This is one potential outcome, an electric grinder pouring water into something that was not meant to have water poured into it. However, those are engineering concerns that potentially could be overcome. So then the next question is, why wet grind? Um, it's back to the problems. Uneven. Coffee fractures because it's brittle. If you wet it, it becomes softer. And when you grind it, it is less likely to fracture. Stale. Aromatics escaping into the air. If you wet it, it is surrounded by a solvent. The aromatics go into the water. Hot. It doesn't matter if it's hot, because it's already in contact with water. The brewing has already begun. Wasteful. This goes back to the unevenness. You can, If you produce a more even grind, you can use less coffee. On. Oh, oh! I didn't mean to go here yet. Can we go back? No, go on. Let's see if we can get there. Go on again, pass this, we make come back. Let's leave it there for a moment. (laughs) Okay. I wanted to talk about... Actually, I didn't consider that I'd be holding this when I was going to do this demonstration. Let's try and do it anyway. (laughs) You hold. Dream come true. Hello. Okay. So, I am... Part of working for this... Fantastic company <laughs> is um, when when we get an idea, uh, we are allowed try that idea and see if it works or not. So um, I wanted to taste whether what I was thinking could be true, and uh, we did try. Oh, it's just come off. We did try other things. Um, we did try big electric grinder Things. Um, Is that now okay? It's kind of okay. No, it's a bit loose, though. Sorry about this. Okay, we'll leave it. We'll leave it for now. Okay, the video will actually show you what I'm doing. If you go back, Jer. So, oh, it's still playing. Can you bring that back? Yep, there. So what we were doing to test it? Simple. We took this little hand grinder. Um, it's. It, I was going to argue that it's the most interesting coffee brewer currently available, um, because a it's got ceramic burrs. You can wet them, wash them, do whatever you want to them. They're fine. Um, it's got a perfect little glass receptacle at the bottom, which can be cleaned and which can hold a volume of liquid that is equatable to a drink. And you can attach a drill to the top of it, which is brilliant. <laughs> now, we also did something. We um, we fixed the famous skirt and wobble, if anyone knows what that is. If you don't, I won't get into it. And we put a little auger on the shaft, because when you wet the coffee, it tends to not want to go into the burrs as easily as before. but So we put a little shaft on it that pulls them down. And so we started set. We had this. We set about tasting it. And the first thing I kind of wanted to accomplish was establish that it wasn't the same. I mean, if I did this and they were both the same, then forget about it. So we did it. We basically set the grind. Um, And using the same thing and two little, uh, two bowls, we first ground through normally. Well, as normal as with a hand drill and other bits going on. And then uh, put in the water to the bottom and just put a lid on, number one. Number two, put in the coffee, then put in the water before grinding. Allow it to soak a little. Then ground, a bit more water, ground final brew volume of water. Let them both extract for a little bit further before filtering and tasting. And they were not the same. Not even close. Always different. Not always better, but always different. Um, however, the most interesting thing that happened, if you go on here, but this was, I will actually discuss this, this was an something we did before the auger, which was try and use ball bearings to weigh the coffee down and force it through faster. And that did not work. <laughs> so go on. <laughs> so the most interesting thing I did, who, who here is familiar with uh, like a cachoeira or like a, a Brazilian pulp natural bourbon? For me, like it's, it's, it's a coffee that always tastes of chocolate nuts, chocolate nuts, chocolate nuts. And, um, we made it like this, these two. The first one, the normal one, tasted like chocolate and nuts. Okay. The second one tasted like strawberries. They tasted like a naturally processed Ethiopian or something. And I couldn't believe it. it. was like, where did that come out of? So, where we have this before, there's these other guys that weren't, that were otherwise unattainable. These new things, these flavors that were otherwise lost. And uh, <laughs> And I was amazed. And when we looked at papers and scientific literature that might relate to this, we found a kind of a consensus. Um, This paper says that if you wet grind, that you trap more volatile aromas. I don't know why I, everyone else hasn't looked at this. Um, go on. And it also says that your grind profile is more even. So these are all different chemical compounds that are more present. So all the bars that go up, they're more present in the wet grind. Go on. And so kind of what we're what I'm thinking, at least, is that maybe the future, maybe, this timeline that extends back this way to harvesting and processing and all those brilliant things, which I know nothing about really, but this end maybe changes a little. That it becomes more like this, where your brewing and grinding are maybe happening concurrently. and Maybe instead of an Uber grinder and an Uber boiler, you could have an Uber brewer. Maybe. Oh, no, just to highlight the point. And we might. Maybe this is the future. Thank you.
0: Um, I've spent a small fortune building a coffee shop and now you're telling me that it's wrong. <laughs> so it's the first person's going to be barred from the shop, but uh, I think everyone will agree that was um, an amazing talk. Well done, David. Um, so, will we uh, jump into questions? Yeah, no questions. No questions? <laughs> uh, there's definitely questions here. Who's got a question for me? Okay, we'll start with this guy here. I think he has an authority. Just curious if you noticed a consistent change in extraction or yield? Yes.
1: Yes, I did. What was it? (laughs) 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 I noticed a change in extraction yield when wet grinding to less, which is concurrent with my experience when sieving coffee. Because if you think back, if you're reducing the amount of fines, you're going to be reducing the extraction. So when we saved coffee, when we were in Berkeley, and we did, you know, we did the sieve coffee thing, where you can extract more if you don't have the fines from the rest of the coffee. And you can use less coffee in, to make the same cup, and it actually tastes better. Um, but using the same grind setting, but taking out all the small stuff, what was once a three or four minute brew had to be extended to seven minutes to get the same extraction. So, actually, we're we'll, we'll going further, but you get the meaning. So, yeah, less.
0: Will? In terms of the extra aromatics you found, was there um, more positive, more negative, or was it just all of them were, there were more of all of them?
1: Uh, you see, the coffee we were generally using was good coffee. So, there was nothing hugely negative. I, th- I reckon if we were using a different grade of coffee, we could end up getting more negative. The trend, I, the broad trend, I mean, apart from some examples where it was just totally different, like it was a different coffee, broadly, there was just more higher notes.
0: Alistair? I'm just wondering, you, you said that the strawberry taste emerged. Um, how would you discount the fact that you're grinding into jam jars? <laughs> that man gets a bag of coffee. <laughs> do we have another question? Wait, do you have an answer? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> do we have another question? I saw some more hands. Yes? Did you, did you notice anything um, different to, or, or did you try different water temperatures in this process?
1: Yeah, we did. Uh, we did it cold as well. Um, interestingly, from that paper I referenced, they were more favorable of cold. Um, I mean, this is a limiting kind of setup. Uh, you know, in terms of what I can do with it. Um, but we tried cold as well as hot. So cold water first, then a hot extraction. Um, it wasn't as interesting. That's what I'd kind of say. It was closer to the normal than, than hot grinding followed by hot extraction. Um, yeah, but I mean the, the limiting thing is kind of how much water you can use to grind, which in this you kind of need to use a decent amount. So then you're limited by how much more water you can use to extract if you still want to have a consistent brew ratio, which uh, kind of means if you're doing it cold to start, you know, you're never really going to get back to the temperature you want unless you're doing something else completely different. So, yeah, kind of.
0: Dale, make this good, Dale, or Steve will be angry. It's going to be the big one. Um, okay, Brewmaster. We say that there's a 30%. Of a coffee bean that you can extract physically, and that twenty percent is ideal. If you're changing, so we've got one kind of um, a singular grind profile,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and it's extracting slower. Can you extract more than twenty percent? Yes. Do you you think you can? And and so can we extract twenty-five percent? Yes. That whole twenty percent goes out the window, and we start again. Yes. Excellent.
1: You can throw. If you had a completely even grind profile, you can throw the charts out the window. Because everything, the charts, are all based on grinders, as we know it. Everything. All this knowledge about brewing and things are based on things that produce this kind of grind. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Anyone else? Hi, it's more of an observation than a question. Um, I had a very scary conversation with a British industrial uh, chemist about 25 years ago. Worked for Nestle, um, and the techniques that they used to extract the aromas yep. to pipe back into the jars. Yes. Um, where did you come across the research on wet grinding? Is this going down that sort of route, or no?
1: I mean, the it's you know Google. Uh. (Laughter) Where did I come across it? It's uh, yeah, I can give you the reference, but um it's not going down that route. No, it's well it's a funny paper because they actually used lab blenders uh for their wet stuff and kind of dittings for the dry stuff. Um well they used the lab blenders for dry stuff as well. But no it's not it's not going down the route of condensers and you know, kind of overboiling and pressurized extractions of that. I'm okay.
0: Okay. Cheers. <laughs> anyone else? Okay. Um, this is really interesting. How close? Like, obviously, you have a kettle and jam jars and a grinder there. Yes. So, when can I have one, please? When does it? When does it go? How far are you, have you brought this?
1: You can. You can try this. I mean, anyone can try this. This. There are lots of these around. You can do this um, Most people have drills. I mean, we can try this now. We can try this now. But we try it now.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe we should try because we, we have a uh, there's actually a, uh, a gig in here afterwards. So once we get out of this room, maybe we could try it in the in the makeup. Sure. We could do that, Stuart. <laughs> All right. Go Jam Jarrett for everyone. Okay. Uh, we we'll leave it that. Have You got anything else to say? Nothing else you want to? That's no. great, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen, David Waltz.